0: Welcome to the Government Services Chapter of the American College of Emergency Physicians podcast. GSASEP represents emergency physicians who work in the federal government, including active duty military, National Guard, and military reserves, as well as the Veterans Administration, Indian Health Service, and other federal agencies. Our mission is advancing emergency care for America's heroes. In this podcast, we bring you lectures and conversations with leaders in federal emergency medicine to help you better care for your patients and lead your departments. The views expressed on this podcast are personal views and do not represent the views of the Department of Defense, any branch of the military, or the federal government, and they do not constitute endorsement of any product by any of these entities. looking forward to this next discussion, Dr. Max Lee, who's retired Air Force Colonel, who's going to talk about those career transitions and opportunities that you all uh, will have in your future. So with that, Dr. Lee.
1: Okay. Well, as uh, Dr. Tilly has announced, uh, I'll be here to hopefully entertain and uh, provide some of my perspectives uh, during my time and as I'm continuing to learn from my experience as a relatively recently retired uh, member but there's more to the story so you'll see that it gets convoluted and a little bit weird but that's okay that's uh, emergency medicine uh, so I, I don't know and I won't even try to uh, match the quality and the uh, and you know the genuine genuine emotion and caring that we saw with the various other panels before uh, I have so the only thing I can do is to try to entertain you so uh, here we go as a a dressed monkey of sorts all right all right I have no financial disclosures to make Uh, the information presented are those of my own and uh, they're from my own experiences and opinions and by no means am I an expert uh, but uh, rather a continuously learning student, and uh, and of the presented topics. Um, so with that, um, a mentor of mine told me, "Medicine is staged theater for ugly people." So the only thing that I'm eminently qualified for is uh, maybe uh, presenting uh, from my from my lack of looks. So um, I'll ask the audience: um, Do we have any? students, medical students, undergrads who are interested in uh, in emergency medicine and or the military in our audience today. Raise your hand, please. All right. So uh, please help them understand what they're getting into and to interface with them because um, some of the leaders at GSA SEP were the ones who brought me into emergency medicine and 20 some odd years later, here I am, here I am talking. So uh, please, uh, I would appreciate if you can extend an opportunity. Uh, Army folks, who do you have Either previous experience in the Army or currently in the Army. Raise your hand, please. Okay, so we got a little cluster here uh, Navy. All right, excellent. Air Force. Okay, so we got a kind of the wings of the Air Force, the Central Corps, and, and the Navy side. Excellent. Um, do we have any uh, uh, folks who are either retired or in the Reserve or Guard currently? Yeah, great. So we have a great swath of experience and a range of. Uh, Time in the military and in emergency medicine. So, uh, please take advantage of our opportunities here. Thank you very much. So, my background is not going to be the same as yours, and it's, as you can see from some of these uniforms, is dated, and uh, you'll see like, uh, why is this guy wearing an army uniform? Well, you know, why is he wearing a Kevlar vest inside an aircraft? Um, so, it's to say my experience will not necessarily necessarily be the same as yours. However, um, I, in, that, in that journey, I had an opportunity to get to meet and work with just tremendous people. And if I can help in any way to help you understand some of the opportunities that are available or connect you with somebody with more knowledge in that field than I have, uh, that is what I see as my role uh, moving forward. So just a brief background. I started my military life as an Air Force Academy cadet, went to USHU's, then went to the EM residency at Wright-Patterson, then taught at SOSCHEC in San Antonio Emergency Program uh, for four years, and then uh, went to my operational and command tours. Uh, Some people say I dropped off the face of the earth, and if there is one regret, I wish I wouldn't have used that time uh, in the other side of the operational world as an excuse to not stay connected. All right, so that's kind of one life lesson I like to pass along. Second, uh, then I... Then I needed to understand what I wanted to do when I grew up and uh, the field of healthcare, uh, the business of medicine and a lot of things were changing. So I got lucky enough to uh, go to an MPH and completed at Ann Arbor, Michigan. Then completed a a Air Force aerospace medicine residency to understand some of the public health implications of what we're doing and to lead populations to better health rather than just individual or small uh, group of people whatever, 20 people in the emergency department. But how can we uh, translate that into uh, better care throughout the system? Uh, then I went to a command at uh, RAF Lakenheath, uh, speaking, uh, you know, going to almost a different, even though they say the same things, the words are different, like uh, uh, napkins are completely different than what we think of napkins. They think of as diapers. So it was a challenge in learning some of the uh, you know, English, uh, as they say. And then I finished my time in the active duty Air Force as a, the chief of airspace medicine at AFSOC headquarters. I currently am the airspace medicine consultant at the United States Air Force School of Airspace Medicine where I do a lot of policy work related to uh, aviation waivers uh, and policies regarding who, who and what medical conditions are safe to fly and maybe not safe to fly. Uh, and then I also have time carved out to practice emergency medicine. So I have an amazing, amazing opportunity to translate some of my practical and uh, clinical work, (coughs) excuse me, to to policy uh, that affects our war fighters. And to Admiral's point, I know we don't necessarily talk about lethality, but really what we are here to do, whether we are a corpsman or a medic or emergency physician or a nurse, All of that really is to provide confidence in our leadership to execute mission, right? That's really the bottom line in my opinion. And with that confidence, uh, there's two ways I, I know how to support that. Confidence in that we're going to be able to provide the very best care in whatever setting that we are entrusted upon, whether it's in the field, whether it's in a submarine, or on top of the burning aircraft carrier. We have to provide that expert level of medical uh, care. The second is human performance. How do we enable our soldiers, sailors, uh, airmen to fight um, in these challenging conditions and environment to you know, exceed their normal capacity and really win that battle. Because as we learned in TCCC, the best battlefield care is overwhelming superior firepower, right? Okay. So um, I'm kind of hard-headed, and it took me a long time to understand some of these concepts. And Uh, I'm very good at binary thinking, yes, no, black and white, Uh, but that doesn't really translate in real world. And sometimes it doesn't translate in medicine as well. So let me highlight some of the examples. Um, Instead of yes, no, is there a possibility for maybe or if certain parameters are met? You may have heard the term uh, not no because, but yes, if, right? So that's probably an important concept in talking to your commanders and leaders on what is possible. Not no because, but yes, if these parameters are met. What about admit or discharge? Right. Sometimes this is a clinical one, but how about different aspects of how we practice medicine? Um, it could be close follow up, or maybe there's home care available. Uh, maybe they go home with a pick line, or uh, they have ED follow up. How crazy is that? Hey, you're, I'm going to be on the shift next day. Come on back, and I'll check out your wound to see you know if we need to do anything different or pack it, or uh, get more advanced care. Um, observation stays, right? Um, there's 24-hour obs units, and some advanced EDs have smaller, shorter stays. That uh, somebody, let's say, a kiddo with croup in the middle of the night, can stay till the morning and see how they do. Uh, so, and then there are either other step-down care facilities available instead of being a full inpatient for months on end. There might be a step-down care available. So, I think how we practice medicine can be applied to a lot of aspects uh, in not only our clinical practice but in daily life. Uh, other common discussion is, is it medical or surgical? But, well, why not both, right? There's interventional radiology, who is not either medical or surgical, but can certainly help. Uh, Stage procedures. Why try to stop the bleeding in the liver, and then, because the patient is on the uh, OR table for so long uh, that, uh, you know, they expire, right? Maybe we stage the procedure. Uh, How about neoadjuvant therapy? Can we hack out the whole cancer? Well, maybe we shrink it down with medications or radiation, and then go after the cancer surgically. And then minimally invasive and other nanotechnology that is available to us. So both medicine and surgery is advancing at a very rapid rate. And then instead of thinking about now or never, think about is this the optimal time? Uh, Should we do this now or can this wait a little bit? We love making decisions with what information we have because we're emergency medicine physicians. That's what we do best. Uh, however, sometimes it's better to delay that decision and make it when it's necessary, especially in let's say something like business or policy. All right, now versus later or when the resources are available uh, and uh, when it is required. All right. So, how do we prioritize and think about what is important to us? And that self-reflection, I would argue, is the most important thing to allow you to think clearly about clearly about what might be your decisions and uh, and decision points in the future. So I'll highlight a couple of them that, you know, you may have thought about or you may see other people reflect on. Uh, but uh, first is kind of like popularity, right? You know, that little burst of dopamine you get when somebody hits a like button uh or uh, you get a positive feedback you know that's that's something that's real um and then maybe some people are driven by money um and uh and, and the opportunity to make money as an emergency physician both uh, as a uh within the military but certainly uh, outside as well but what about rank um how do you put you know a dollar cost to the rank now there's certainly a dollar figure that you get from what uh, whatever your service uh years of service and what rank you are, but there are other intangibles than just money uh, from the rank. Uh, what about power, uh, your ability to change or stop change in something from happening, right? So that is, uh, at least in my mind from a, a person and leadership perspective, uh, is, is a definition of power, uh, or is it for experience? Uh, I love this picture of this uh, kid looking at a butterfly and there's just genuine surprise and, uh, wonderment and excitement and engagement and uh you know maybe that's you when you teach residents and they see a new way to insert a central line or new way to approach a patient uh disease process and when they when that light bulb comes on that's a powerful thing and uh and that might be something that you value um Is it for legacy of what you're leaving behind, whether it's written works or whether it's the number of people you've trained or interacted with or helped along the way? uh, That could be certainly a powerful force. But what I have to say that's common to everyone here in this audience is service. You signed up to serve the nation's call, uh, but not only that, to serve uh, those who fight for our nation's causes. Uh, So I think uh, that could be one of those unifying things. And something that we need to Consistently think about whether we're in the uniform or not as we move forward. All right. So I sometimes see the career decisions as a midlife crisis, um, not from a you know should I buy a sports car or do I run you know run off and get married to somebody else. Uh, not in that sense, but in a sense that some doors open and certain doors close. There were opportunities to maybe for me to stay more operational or utilize some of my aerospace medicine training to go to the astronaut corps or other things. But those open and close certain opportunities and avenues. Uh, So you have to really carefully think through that, those decision points. And it's stressful, but it's okay. It's stressful. And I feel that this is you stress because this really is a first world problem, isn't it? You're having an opportunity to, to do amazing things and affect people's lives and uh, doing it in a positive, uh, altruistic, hopefully, and, and a socially acceptable way. So although it is a, a challenging and sometimes stressful situation, um, take advantage of it. Because with each openings there might be closings, and with e- each door's closing, there might be new opportunities that open. It may lead you down to a new path, and sometimes it could be a very circuitous route. Maybe you you do an operational tour and then you come back to teaching and then teach your residents the value of understanding how to deal with the line and the leadership. Maybe you uh, do an MBA after, uh, you know, or an online MBA and you you utilize those skills to affect the healthcare system to help out the very people uh, who you're uh, serving. So these are uh, some challenges. And then there are pitfalls, right? If you are not clear on what you have thought through and what are your values and orient your life goals and future with those values, uh, I would posit that there will be future challenges and second guessing uh, that comes about and cause more stress. So um, that self-reflection, I think, is a critical piece uh, of understanding where you might want to go. Okay, so how do you find your passion? And these are some of the questions that I Pondered and looked, and none of these are new ideas under the sun. I'm sure you've seen this at, you know, the 12 o'clock Saturday infomercials. So I'm not saying anything new here, but these are kind of important questions that I felt uh, helpful in making my decisions. (laughs) Uh, One is what am I good at or what can I excel at? Right? So I might want to play professional basketball, but I know I'm not going to excel in that field. I haven't had the training. I probably don't have the size and speed uh, to do that. So, okay. Uh, But are there things that I am uniquely able to do because of my uh, talents and experiences? All right. So next is, am I on the path towards eudaimonia? So this was uh, taken from a speech that uh, JFK uh, delivered in the 60s. And um, the the meaning of eudaimonia, it really is probably best translated to um, human flowering, right? Human flourishing and your ability to really understand and reach your full maximal potential. So is what I'm pursuing or about to pursue in the next five to ten years what will bring me eudaimonia? And to the Greeks, that was the true definition of happiness, pursuit of happiness, knowing that you're on the path to really um, fully Realizing your capabilities. And eudaimonia, I think, is a wonderful word uh, to illustrate that. And then third, do I have to do this or do I want to do this? Uh, that perspective is amazingly powerful on when you go to work or when you are making your living, uh, both during military career and afterwards, right? If you have a passion to do it you know, as a retiree, many people would say, well, why are you working now? Why do you work as hard as you do? Or why are you involved with certain uh, groups and organization? Well, because it brings me happiness and because I want to do it, not because I have to do it. Uh, and and because I uh, enjoy the company and the people that I've worked with. And I also feel that I have to give back to the community that, that has helped me so much. So again, um, looking through this uh, and Deeply thinking about what you're passionate about will help you find that answer. So I'm sorry I don't have a canned answer in saying you should do this, 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 and then this because everyone's experience, interests, passions are going to be different. But um, what I'm trying to lay out is a general principle and general idea where I I found uh, most useful in making my journey, but also as I discussed openly with other people on how I made that decision. Okay, so as that time came nearer and nearer and nearer, um, retirement. How do I make that retirement decision? Um, and for some of our medical students and someone, some some of our folks starting off early in their career, this might be a long ways off idea. You're like, oh, how am I ever going to see till retirement?" And quite honestly, I thought very similarly at that time. Uh, but uh, as time came closer. Some of these uh, discussions and uh, thought processes uh, were clarified, and I was able to kind of put it down into uh, these three ideas, and then I'll give you my cynical one, because, you know, I I told you at the start, I can't compete with other folks here. I have to make it a little humorous. All right. So... um, about five years before the end of my active duty time, uh, I started thinking about um, what are my values and are they aligned with the values of my organization? And you see the, uh, you know, core values of our three uh, sister services up there. Uh, and, and these are amazing time tested and true values that will help you not only in the military, but is so sought after outside of the military that um, you have a huge leg up on a lot of uh, your other peers who do not have these amazing experiences, though challenging as they may be. Next is, am I developing and working towards a goal, right? Am I in that pursuit of eudaimonia? Uh, And uh, or am I just Checking the calendar on the shifts works that i've done or uh, or you know just going through the motions well you have to find joy in what you do, uh, so kind of think deeply in uh, about what is it that you're working towards and then lastly, uh, am I holding others or my organization back right I mean I, I can't speak for anyone else but myself, but if there are other capable subordinates who should be taking on your roles it's part of your job as a leader to help develop them and get them ready for that next role Uh, so that was one of the things that I looked at now uh, I had a chance to discuss this with one of my close colleagues and he says you know what I think this could be all turned down into what we call don't be an appendix colonel anyone heard of that term before Okay, so don't be an appendix kernel. So let's think about the anatomy of the appendix, right? One, it had a purpose, but now we don't know what it really is about. Mm. All right. Second, if it's removed, there's no significant harm to the person or the organization. Okay? (laughs) And then third, when it's noticed, it's usually a problem because it's usually full of stuff. All right, so don't be an appendix colonel. All right, uh, you know, when people say, I'm going to retire from active duty, a lot of people think about uh, this guy's going to get a boat, move down to the panhandle of Florida, and fish and, you know, chill out in the water. But, uh, you know, a lot of things occupy and eat up your time, so don't think that once you get out of the active duty military that you're going to have any more time, The cumulative trauma, both mentally and physically, over the course of your career is going to have an effect. And you're going to probably need some time to get some things that are fixed that you have neglected because of career deployments, uh, et cetera, including your family. Uh, So personal health, uh, the needs of the immediate family. uh, And what I've recently discovered and have been working through is uh, aging parents, I never thought I'd have to, uh, think about wills, a power of attorney, uh, you know, anytime there's a illness or uh, a challenge medically, guess who gets the call, right? And it's even to extend it, of course, off to cousins, sometimes friends. Uh, so it's, it's a true, I I call it a, it's a, uh, honor to be able to advise and help in those critical moments of somebody's life, Um, not only for my parents, but uh, to my extended family and and their friends. So uh, I appreciate that, but it will certainly eat up some of your time. Um, And then whatever your new role is or new job is, or maybe you have a serious hobby that you want to turn into a business. Uh, So that'll certainly uh, be able to eat up quite a significant uh, chunk of your time. And then uh, opportunities to uh, enrich uh, yourself and others through social and community volunteer involvement uh, and part of what I do is to uh, try to uh, improve w- what we do as GSA SEP. and I find that you know very rewarding and then I've been able to uh, connect and work with uh, my church because um, you know I've I found peace and uh, and solace during some of the more challenging times in my life uh, so it's again an opportunity to give back but whatever it is that drives you and your passion. Uh, being emergency medicine doctors and being physicians, you it will uh, consume your time. So don't think that just because retire, life is going to get necessarily uh, more relaxable or easier. All right, other things I wish I knew before retirement. Um, separation doesn't mean you give up all the credits of your service. Did you know that you could buy back some of your time if you go into the GS system as a retire towards a GS retirement? Ah, interesting, right? Uh, so there are opportunities there. Um, and I'll have links in the talks and uh, hopefully these talks will be available to download for our participants. And those links will take you to the sites that gives you kind of the source document on where you can find these things. So I hope you guys use it in the future to for, as a reference. Military uh, service buyback time towards first retirement, I mentioned that. Um, anyone heard of the rumor that like service academy time kind of counts towards your retirement? Anyone heard of that? Okay, so some some folks who may be uh, service academy grads, uh, but there is. It's not towards your military retirement, but if you do the government service retirement, it'll pay back or it'll add to that government service. So, for example, if you retire... At 16 years with government service, you'll get credit for 20. So there's interesting uh, things that can happen uh, with your service academy time. And those uh, processes and and source documents are listed here for your reference. A couple of other things. Uh, Anyone heard the kind of the thing about if you're a uniformed services university that uh, you'll get time added towards your retirement? Right, We've probably heard that and seen maybe the documents floating around. So there's a source document in that link. It'll take you directly to that PDF that was signed in 2003, I believe, that gives you that extra time at the end. Uh, so you have to hit 20, and then you get credit for roughly four. It's like three years and nine months afterwards. Uh, and And the important thing here is it's not 20 – let's say you go to 22 years and you add four years of issues. You multiply that by the base pay at 22 years highlighted in the red circles rather than 26 years, right? So even though the difference is relatively small, um, their math is a little bit nuanced. You know, that's the personnel system doing its thing. So uh, I would consider that carefully if you want to fully, fully retire and you want to utilize your monetary uh, retirement benefits uh, appropriately. Okay. Okay, I'll cover these in the slides, but I put this here as a reference for different websites that you can go to uh, look at, look into some of these things. And this is kind of near and dear to my heart now because my oldest son is about to go off to college. Uh, so um, the nine eleven GI Bill benefits are just amazing, and if you are looking into retirements. Uh, And if you are within maybe four or five years of getting out, I would highly encourage you to look at how you can be eligible to transfer those benefits. That benefits transfer will will open so many opportunities if you have children or dependents. And what that allows you to do, after six years, you're eligible for uh, buying into that transfer and then you sign up for four more. So if you're at the 10-year career mark, that's usually early majors, mid-major uh, timelines. Uh, if you are make thinking about that decision four to five years before whether you separate or retire, uh, making that decision to uh, look into the benefits are awesome. And let me tell you why. First, you can transfer the benefits to multiple kids or spouses. And in many colleges, if you apply for one year, it translates over to the rest of the three years while they're in college. So you can. Do, so I have four children. I'm going to divide each of those uh, benefits, uh, nine months each to my children because you get 36 months. And during that time, they'll get paid for the in-state tuition rate plus the E-5 base rate for their food and room and boarding. What an amazing, amazing um, benefit. But wait, there's more. The Yellow Ribbon programs. The... A lot of the universities have recognized the benefits of uh, and the sacrifices that military families have made in their service uh, along with their you know, active duty member. So they have a matching program for, uh, so you might be a, in a private school or a private institution and they have matching programs towards a yellow ribbon program. Oh, and by the way, some yellow programs uh, extend out to graduate school. So If you're able to save some portion of your um, post 9-11 GI bill, and then they can match yellow ribbon program for the graduate programs, which are typically much more costly, uh, then you would have a huge benefit. So look at the options and carefully consider when you might want to use that GI benefit or yellow ribbon program matching. Right. So it doesn't always have to be for undergrad. I think the limit is up to age 26. uh, So they have some time. And depending on what their long term interests are, there might be a very strategic advantage of waiting a little bit more. And in the talk, you'll see this uh, link there. But uh, there's this thing called the GI comparison tool put out by the VA. And if you go there, you can search the school by names and locations and compare what they offer, what G, uh, what yellow ribbon programs they have, what GI programs they have, 9-11 um, GI Bill programs they have matching. So uh, this is like one of the coolest sites I've seen uh, in helping uh, plan my family for uh, for their education and the future. And then as a um, service member, again, amazing, amazing scholarship opportunities uh I'm not at all affiliated with this organization, but it's uh, Folds of Honor. And uh, if you have honorably served in the military, uh, your family and children are eligible for uh, significant um, scholarship opportunities. And the cool thing about scholarships, and depending on whether it's a scholarship or a stipend, it may allow you to save some of the uh, the 9-11 bills and then use that for room and board. So sometimes you can't use... Sometimes if you, some of these scholarships uh, take away from the total amount paid out from your nine uh, eleven post nine eleven g i bill some of them add on to it so it's a care it's something to consider as you look carefully. but the great thing is there's this uh, amazing thing called facebook um, that allows you to look at these things and there's Facebook families. Uh, within that university or college that they're very helpful in reaching out and uh, helping you navigate through those challenging waters. I'm not a big Facebook user, but uh, my wife convinced me that, hey, there are some redeemable and really uh, amazing neat stuff that's available when used well and appropriately. Okay. Maybe you guys are interested in in opening a business, or maybe you're interested in uh, developing a new device that's going to not only be able to help pediatric patients, but OB patients, and you know various other you know sized uh, folks. And you're like, hey, I have this idea, and I'm going to start this. There are veterans assistance programs to help you get started on these business ideas because you are a uh, veteran, and if you have a service connected disability. Um, so, how many people are flight surgeons or have a flight surgeon billet? Okay. Did you know that as a flight surgeon, um, because you're exposed to loud aircraft noises, uh, you're going to have some hearing loss. Now, whether that's just through normal aging or through exposure to loud aircraft, hard to say, uh, but that's a service-related disability. And you get... And you have an automatic competitive advantage in bidding for government contracts and, uh, and small business business initiatives. So understand those roles, and the links, hopefully, in that system will guide you to uh, some of the resources that are available. So it's, it's really amazing to see that uh, all these benefits are within our easy grasp, only if we ask or only if we seek out rather than, I don't know, I, it would be very tough for, let's say, our veterans returning from the Vietnam War, right? A very different picture and uh, and a very different uh, situation that we're in today. So, what a what a what a great time to be a military service member. Okay, my chair, uh, Dr. Glenn Hamilton, at right. Wright-Patterson or Wright State program, uh, said during residency, uh, he said, you know, you get three things in the job. One is job satisfaction. Second is pay. And and third is how great the location is. Just pick two out of the three because you're not going to get all three of them. Um, And that kind of happens also with pay. So your gross earnings may increase as a civilian, whether you're GS civilian or contractor, or even if you're out in the community working in, in the emergency department, it'll, your gross pay will definitely go up. But I think most of us have found out that uh, Florida, California, and Texas provide the best tax shelter for while we're serving active duty, right? A lot of that goes away. So uh, sometimes there's state taxes or city taxes and such that uh, take away from your overall take-home or net pay. Uh so, however, the disability pay is not taxable, right? So just to be clear that you guys understand. And some states um, allow a reduced rate or non-tax for retirement pay purposes. So I think there are 33 states that offer that. So whatever you, wherever you settle down, kind of look at that uh, aspect, because when, you, when you're making real money in the outside, then, then it may make a little bit more of a difference on where you settle. Okay. Okay. Uh, spouse and Children's Survivor Benefit Program. So there's an opportunity if you're a retiree to pay a certain amount of money and um, that in case you die, your survivors get about 55% of your retirement pay for the rest of their life. So it's pay up earlier. It's almost like a disability income or disability insurance, right? You're paying up earlier to protect them. Uh, if you were to pass away earlier. So there's a calculator out there that's available to do that. Um, And uh, if you get into contact with me, I'll make sure that you get that calculator to make that discussion. Because even though the average age might be 78 for males in the United States currently and almost 80 for females if you've lived to 45 or 50 that number is much different it's you know maybe 85 or 88 uh so it'll allow you to have a mathematical inflection point on whether to do the survivor benefits or not right so it's a pretty cool tool and I'll be happy to share that with you um now, going specific into the uh, general schedule, we call GS sometimes government service, but in the parlance of the personnel and payroll, GS is general schedule. Um, and then there's a grading system from grade one, early, you know, younger, less experienced to grade 15, which is the highest GS grade before you go into the SES grade, which is kind of the uh, GO equivalent or flag rank equivalent. But within the GS system, you have steps steps 1 through 10 depending on your seniority and experience so although you may think that a uh, hey i'm an experienced emergency department uh, physician i'm going to work in a residency where i'm you know supervising residents working with you know uh, complex issues uh, i should be a gs15 grade 10 there may be some advantages to going you know gs15 and then grade 1 because it allows for increases in your salary down the road. But where that is made up is the next line. There's this thing called a locality pay. So if you look at the GS table on the NEDOD resource, you'll see that it's maybe half of what a EM physician might make. But if you look at the locality pay, it's different for each uh, geographic area and for the specialty. So they try to get you to market value in that area, right? So that locality pay is the real negotiation point, in my opinion, rather than what your step grade is in GS, because it's going to go up. Uh, so understand understanding some of the areas where you can argue, or not argue, but uh, discuss what the right uh, contra- or right GS position is will help you be that that much more employable with that. Uh, process and program uh, annual leave. This is negotiable as well. Who would have thought leave would be negotiable? But depending on number of years of service, if you've had 15 years of service in that career field that you're uh, working for, you're allotted eight hours of paid leave for annual leave per pay period, which is about two weeks. Versus if you only have like you know if you don't have much experience at all, then you only get like four hours per that two weeks. So it's almost a double. So. With your experience as a military physician and especially if you're going to join on as an emergency physician, highlighting your experiences on that career field can help significantly in how much leave you accrue uh, sick leave is standard at four hours per pay period which is amazing because you know now you have time and Time allotted to take sick leave, and and when used correctly, uh, I think it's a real boon. Because sometimes I don't, you know, if I have a kid who needs to go follow up for an appointment, then I might use only two hours, right? And you can take leave in smaller increments, and you can do it almost by half day, or sometimes even by the hour. Uh, so you know, your forty hours of leave uh, may be much longer than your traditional, you know, military leave of. Five days versus seven days, right? Because when you're on leave with the civilian system, you're not, you don't count the weekends, you know, because you're not expected on that time. Uh, the federal employee retirement system, again, with the military uh, retirement uh, and the federal employee retirement system, it's one of the few pension programs that are available anywhere in the United States, right? So. Uh, I think uh, this uh, is a, an amazing opportunity, and, and there's a math and calculation that goes with it. And then most of all, you know, if Congress votes for something uh, as a savings program, you know it's a pretty good deal. The TSP uh, is an amazing process, and you should, I think, as an active duty member, take full advantage of that. But especially as a retiree or if you're going into the government service, because they'll match your TSP as well, up to 5%. So uh, great resource. Okay. Uh, and so I I said, I'd bring, I'd I'd have a little twist at the end. Um, there, there is this thing called a uh, retired individual mobility or mobilization augmentee or retired IMA. So I'm currently going through a process to be a retiree who also serves as an IMA. Now, how does that work? Right. So, um, one, you have to get through this indispensability clause. So, somebody's going to really want you to be there because you have some experience and knowledge that they want from you. Um, usually, a flag officer has to kind of help sponsor that. And then, but during your career, um, you, might, you may get an opportunity to work with some people that uh, really want want you and, and want to uh, work with you even after your career is uh, done. Uh, retiree status, uh, you stay and you still get your retiree pay, but when you're activated, you get paid as the reservist. But the cool thing is that time when you're activated counts towards your Added retirement time. So if you retire with 26, you work towards uh, maybe a 30 year retirement, but you also get to serve your country and be involved with uh, the mission. So um, those are some interesting opportunities. And if you have any questions, I'd love to uh, uh, talk about it with you. All right, home stretcher. Um, <clears throat> so what are my three takeaways? Uh, First, uh, schedule time to self-reflect, right? You can call it journaling, meditation, prayer, mindfulness, single tasking, whatever it is, take time and schedule time to self-reflect. Know yourself and know your enemy, and then you need not fear the result of 100 battles. Um, Sun Tzu, uh, we don't learn from experiences. We learn from reflecting on the experiences John Dewey. And uh, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and five minutes thinking about solutions. Albert Einstein. I think uh, those are some wise words and uh, important as you set that vector on where you want to end up in the future. Second, plan to win the long game. We love rushing to decisions (laughs) because we're emergency medicine. We got it. We have the abilities. We're going to do it. Right. But life is maybe a little bit different than emergency medicine. Uh, So I think uh, transitioning and thinking about the long game is important. Um, And really, isn't this the definition of resiliency as we are all trying to get there and to make ourselves more resilient? Uh, So plan for the long term and the long game. Uh, Life is a marathon, not a sprint. The winner of the marathon has the fastest average speed, not necessarily the fastest top speed. Okay. And uh, to win a quick victory at any cost, is that worth losing the ability to build a team of supporters in the future? Right. This is a team game. We can't do it alone. And uh, my last point here is uh, bolster integrity and build relationships. During the Roman times uh, of the Republic, the soldiers would strike the pommel of their sword uh, on their cuirass or breastplate. And the ringing tone, instead of a thwack or a thud, would indicate the armor's completeness and un- and unbrokenness. The soldier would then shout integritas, letting their commanders understand that they are dressed. But not only that, they're mentally ready for the duties at hand. Um, this is paraphrased from General Kulak, the uh, commandant of the Marine Corps, Um speech in 1999. Uh, he was our commencement speaker at U Shoes of my graduating year, so this kind of resonated uh, with me as, uh, you know, as I read about this. So again, that integrity is the core value and the, the thing that is going to uh, help set the right vector on where you need to go. However, it's important to understand that through in, although integrity is the common courtesy, uh, respect is a delivery mechanism. If people do not want to work with you or if they fear you, you'll never get the best answer or full participation. And integrity and respect are earned in exchange with both supervisors, subordinates, across, you know, across the way, your family. So it, it's not just a one-way thing, up or down. It goes side to side, up and down, and everywhere else in between. Stated differently, the amazing and positive effect of integrity is lost when practiced without the purpose of building relationships, So mentor, coach, and be an advocate for our future leaders. Build teams that can solve yet unknown problems for the future and pay it forward. And always don't forget your family because they've been with you the whole time. So my last slide here, uh, I'll leave you with this. Um, You know, as I look back and, and review some of the literature, I go, I didn't really understand what they meant when I read this. Uh, play by William Shakespeare as a high schooler, Uh, but as I uh, look back and think, I go, man, this guy had it right. He understood what was happening, and I'll just read you a small snippet. Uh, So if you concentrate on the soldier and the person with that powdered wig or the magistrate, I'll just read you the excerpt from there um, as he described the different stages of life. Then a soldier full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, I think he's talking about a leopard, um, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking, seeking the bubble reputation, even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice in fair round belly with good capon lined, capon being a fat fattened chicken, uh, with eyes severe and beard a formal cut, full of wise saws in modern instances, and so he plays his part. Uh, So with that, I just would like to say thank you for letting me play a small part in uh, your um, your time here at the GSA SEP Conference. Uh, I'm looking forward to having the conversations with you, learning from you, and uh, conveying any messages or uh, hopeful hints that I might have uh, to better connect you and have you ready for the future. I just want to thank my amazing family uh, and my wife, who we met at U uh, Shoes. She is definitely the wind uh, beneath my uh, wings and sail as, as we go through our life journey together. And uh, the QR code will link you to the GSASEP, or I'm sorry, GSS feedback form. And I would sincerely appreciate your feedback on, on not only my talks, but the other talks, uh, because our goal is to improve uh, the delivery and the value that we bring to our organization. So with that, I know I'm definitely out of time. I thank you for your uh, attention. And if there's any time for a question, I'd be happy to answer any. Laura? So. two questions I am allowed yes Dr. Arnaf so, uh, not a question as much as a suggestion um, if you haven't looked into the idea
0: of incorporating yourself and becoming or creating an LLC for you or your family um, there's various ways of doing that from state to state but I would highly recommend it. It's a way to protect your assets, especially if you step out of the civilian world and practice medicine.
1: Um, It will help protect you from um, adverse events. Uh, It's also a way to shelter your assets from taxes and things like that. It's it's an easy and cheap thing to do, and you can do it at any time. Um, Especially if you're going to do something unusual in your post- military career that's not a standard a nine-to-five medicine. Yeah, wise advice. And uh, there's some nuances on what you can and can't do and different advantages of a S-Corp versus a LLC and I'll be happy to discuss some of those finer points if you have questions. One more question? Yes, sir. Uh, Colonel Corral from Madigan. Uh, first of all, thank you for your service and your ongoing service. It's amazing. And uh, I... Uh, question about how long did you actually take while you were still on active duty to prepare for your retirement? Yeah, great question. I think I thought about it after, honestly, after my, my fun time, my time uh, with the units and with the teams were over. I said, what is, you know, what am I really about? What do I want to pursue? Um, do I want to do the command track? Do I want to climb the uh, military, you know, rank and system, and so I had to seriously think about what my, you know, talents as well as what my interests were, uh, and also with what my family was willing to uh, support and work together on. And at, from the onset, I told them, "Hey, this is a this is something I can't do alone, and we'll have to work together." So probably about six years before I started thinking about it, probably. Th- in the start of my last job as the AFSOC uh, um, Aerospace Medicine, the SGP in AFSOC, I, uh, I made the decision to uh, retire. Um, and it took about two years to plan all these things. And then COVID threw everything in a loop. I couldn't get my VA appointment to get all my physicals and you know those things done. But have faith in the system. The VA does a really amazing job of following up. I got a call like six months after I retired. Um, and then, I know mean, my pay hadn't come in from my disability retirement stuff and they followed up and they say, Hey, we've adjudicated Your letter is in the mail. And oh, by the way, we're going to back pay you for all the months that you weren't paid for. And then I got a call from uh, Herbert Field at headquarters AFSOC and they say, Hey, currently I know you've retired and you did a partial ditty. Uh, it's been about, Ten months. I'm sorry it took this long to process, uh, but you will be uh, deposited this amount that you owed. I had completely forgotten about that, but f- especially from a retirement perspective, um, the system and the VA and the and the processes are there to really protect you and work with you. Uh, so have have confidence in that, and take the TAPS class multiple times if you can, because you'll you'll learn a lot about the, the all these resources that are available into much greater than details. And I have. Uh, outlined here. So thank you very much. Uh, You guys are an amazing group of people. Uh, I'm here to uh, assist or advise in any way I can, uh, and I look forward to uh, meeting you and, and getting to learn a little bit about your life story. Thank you.
0: GSASEP is proud to be the premier continuing medical education source for military and federal emergency physicians. To purchase CME for the episode you just listened to, please click on the link in the show notes. The Government Services Chapter of the American College of Emergency Physicians promotes quality emergency care and enhances the development of emergency physicians who serve our nation from training through retirement. Learn more about our chapter at www.gsacep.org.